0: Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Lake Elsinore, California, with a very special guest by the name of Mark. Mark, I know somebody named Mark. Mark Fletcher. Mark, welcome (laughs) to Cars Yeah! Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I sure am. Thank you, Mark.
0: You're welcome. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into what we're going to be sharing together today, what's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you?
1: Uh, A good question. Um, I'm an unusual car collector, and then I collect uh, old AMC muscle cars. And that's not an oxymoron statement. AMC (laughs) did make muscle cars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. AMC muscle cars. Yeah, it's funny. And I love the way you said that. Well, I think that's pretty cool. Now, we're going to talk about most likely some AMC muscle cars you've had. But let me give you a proper introduction. And then we're going to dive into something new in your role today which is a new book i'm excited to share so here we go mark is an automotive enthusiast as you can understand whose passion for documenting history has manifested into a new book titled 1970 maximum muscle cars mark is a muscle car collector as he said that has experienced all makes of muscle cars of the late 60s and early 70s His collection now centers on the underdog of American Motors, (laughs) which is cool, of which he now owns four low-mileage examples, which we're going to hear about, I'm sure. He resides in Lake Elsinore, as I said, with his wife of 32 years. He's been active in the car collector community primarily in the the western united states he's a past automotive appraiser and national concourse show winner and chairman 1970 maximum muscle is the second of a three-book collaboration with his good friend richard truesdale now richard's going to be my guest tomorrow so make sure you tune in for that the other side of the story we'll call it uh who not only assists in the writing of his books but Also, is the primary photographic contributor. Mark is also a sales manager for a vital public safety equipment, equipment used by the police departments in efforts to protect and serve the public. Very cool. We'll be back in just a minute to learn more about this book and Mark, but first a word from our sponsors. So keep your seatbelt on. We'll be right back. Did you know the most damaging thing to your vehicle's interior is the sun? Harsh UV rays damage your interior over time, cracking the dash, fading colors, and the heat makes getting into your favorite ride downright unbearable. My friends at Covercraft have the perfect solution for you and me. Their quality-made sunscreens are easy to use, take seconds to install and to remove, and they protect your vehicles while parked in the sun. If using a cover isn't a good option. I have one for every one of my cars. They come in a variety of colors and options, and their accordion design makes unfolding and folding them up for storage as cool as the summer breeze. Your sunscreen comes custom tailored for your special vehicles and manufactured with the quality and attention to detail that's been the standard for Covercraft since 1965. Here at Cars Yeah, I've got a savings just for you. Use the code YAH21, that's Y-E-A-H, 2-1 2-1 at Covercraft.com and they'll give you 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Simply use the code ya 21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. American Collectors Insurance, that's how I now protect my Porsche Turbo. The one I call my orange crush. Are you insuring your classic vehicles on your regular daily driver auto policy? then your special vehicles are at risk. Your regular auto insurance carrier won't tell you how much you'll get until after a claim, and more than likely, you'll be in for a rude awakening. With a agreed value policy from American Collectors Insurance, you'll be paid your vehicle's full agreed value. No surprises. If you're driving your collector car less than 5,000 miles a year, Do what I did, call American Collector's Insurance and get your very own agreed value policy tailored to your specific vehicle. If you're like me, you're picky about who works on your special ride. A great policy allows you to choose your repair shop of choice, and that means you'll know the job is done right. I shopped around and decided to protect my car with American Collector's Insurance. They've been protecting vehicles since 1976. Give them a call for a quote today at 866-ACI. Yeah, that's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love. I did at American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. All right, Mark, we're back. Now, I want to start with a success quote or a mantra. Some kind of saying that has great meaning for you. It's a nice way to get those muscle car... Tire smoke in here on cars. Yeah, so take the wheel.
1: Well, actually, a mantra that I've used is in restoring cars, and it was also very effective in uh, writing books, and that is do something each day. Uh, I'm familiar with a lot of people that have muscle cars or old cars, and they walk past it, and they walk past it, and the the task can be pretty daunting to restore something. And so I've taken on the task of doing something each day for. Uh, the restoration of my muscle cars. And in the book, it was the same, whether that was research or talking with somebody about the historic levels or actually writing. That's, uh, That's how I made progress on the goal.
0: You know, it's great advice. A lot of times people, when they have a daunting project, they are thinking of the whole thing and that's what stops them every day. That causes that procrastination that sometimes sneaks into our world. So I'm glad you shared that. I've had so many authors on this show, and that's something they repeatedly say is, you just have to write a little bit every day, Uh, and that way eventually it'll get it done. But I like the correlation to uh, restoring cars and so forth. So let's dive into this book, 1970 Maximum Muscle. It's really a, a cool book, and you know, being a kid that was, I got my driver's license in the 70s. I mean, the cars mm-hmm. that were around back then were pretty darn cool. So let's dive into your passion for these things. Why this topic? And uh, talk a little bit about putting this whole project together, what it meant for you.
1: Well, the the, the project came about based on my passion. Both Richard Truestell and I wrote the Hearst Quip book that came out in 2012. And after that book, um, and it took a long time to write uh, between the two of us. But after that book, I got thinking of what would be the ultimate car collection. And I have a fascination uh, with 69 and a half muscle cars, the cars that were re- were released mid-year. And uh, I've owned a, a Rambler Scrambler. Uh, with the 390 V8 painted red, white, and blue. I've had that since cool. the 90s until just recently. And uh, there were uh, so many other cars released in the middle of 1969. And then they went on to the 1970 model year. And by 1971, the fangs were taken out of the the uh, capabilities of those cars to really be fully muscular because of uh, different things that happened that we discuss in the book. So the reason the book was written was me making a list of what 69 and a half muscle cars came out. And as you make that list, you can't complete it unless you go on into the 70. And so we talk a lot in the book about the 69 and a half package cars, such as the Boss 302, the Rambler Scrambler, the GTO Judge, the Pontiac Trans Am, the Talladega, Ford Talladega and the Cyclone II uh, counterpart, the Dodge Daytona. All of those super visual cars uh, were sold almost in a frenzy in 69 and a half. And most of the thought process of those package cars carried over into the 70s. And so when we were putting together the list for the book, uh, we ended up with two lists, 69 and a half and 70. And that went uh, right into uh, what... Quattro was trying to do, uh, Dennis Pernu, in putting together a 70 book. And we said we'd write the 70 book if we got to include the Genesis, the 69 and a half model year that led up to it.
0: Cool. What is it about these vehicles that fascinates you so much?
1: Well, they were, they were all limited numbers. And uh, uh, back in my youth, I started restoring Mustangs, and I I, I love all sorts of cars, but I had a, a series of 65, 66 Mustangs, and that's when I was doing a lot of car appraisals too as a hobby business, and I discovered that people invested just as much in a six-cylinder three-speed Mustang in the restoration of it as a GT Hypo Fastback Mustang. But the end result was much much different. The higher the horsepower, the higher the options, uh, the higher the value at the end of the restoration. And so from that, my fascination has always been with the unique cars and those that are at the the top of the performance aspect. And what's funny is some of those cars back in the day uh, had less options and actually cost less to restore because you didn't have to go through a heater or a radio Ah, and uh, less electrical. But but we're more desirable at the end. And as you look at that, I think the peak of all those special cars was really in an 18-month period. And we wanted to figure out, okay, why the frenzy of cars being introduced in 69 and a half and 70, and why did it end in 1971?
0: So what did you discover to answer that question?
1: Good, good question. <laughs> uh, first of all, we discovered that most people's perception of why the muscle car ended doesn't correlate to a calendar and timeline. Most people's perception uh, of people your your in my age is that the oil embargo of 1973 affected the muscle cars. It affected their values, but didn't affect them being built. It was actually uh, emissions and insurance that really killed the muscle car. And and we actually have a subtitle in the book that California killed the muscle car. Uh,
0: and it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bureaucracy. They always do that, don't they? Uh,
1: uh, they, they sure did back then. And the, they started uh, with the emissions. And it was a good thing that they did the emissions. Don't get me wrong. Sure, but yeah. at, at the same time, it, it really killed the Free flow exhaust, uh, regardless of how well a car was running, and performance caused more emissions than uh, a regular car. So that was one aspect. And then the biggest threat was that cars quit being sold in 70 and 71 because of insurance costs. Mm-hmm. Insurance was double, tripling, and more on the performance cars. And the reason for a lot of the package cars, mid-year 69 and a half, was they were named different, and therefore they weren't on the insurer's list of bad cars to insure.
0: It was this primarily due because they just had so much power and people kept crashing them?
1: Yeah. yeah. In fact, I, I read an excerpt from a Congress report just yesterday that somebody had posted, and basically uh, the surcharges started at 100%. Uh, In other words, double the insurance for anything that was considered a muscle car or power. And the good thing is it's proven the fact that the term muscle car was used back in the early late 60s and early 70s as well because it's written in the congressional document. But the insurance company was penalizing especially young males and especially cars that had uh, high horsepower ratings.
0: Yeah, you put high horsepower together with a young male and you got trouble, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, especially especially the the young people of the '60s. There was a lot going on in society yeah. in the late '60s as well. We were we were in a space race that was coming to a conclusion. Uh, Vietnam War was going on, and a lot of a lot of people were either uh, going to war, not knowing if they were coming back, or coming back from having survived the war with a zest for life and money in their pocket.
0: Exactly. Very, very interesting times. Mm -hmm. When you think about that period, are there there one or two vehicles that really stand out as you were putting this book together that are really all stars in your mind?
1: Yeah, interesting. We wanted to make sure that the book wasn't another remake of the LS6 and Hemi competition Mm -hmm. uh, that we've all seen. And I've not owned either one of those two cars, although I've had quite a few muscle cars over the years of all brands. But I didn't realize prior to the book that they made 4,500, almost 4,500 LS6 Chevelles in 1970. If you compare that to, you know, 600 and I think it's 692 Trans Am, 69 and a half Trans Ams or 1,500 of the Rambler Scramblers, um, it's it's. Was quite a successful high-performance car, and the Chevelle was rather expensive in the process as well. So I, I was really impressed with how available that particular muscle car was to the public in 1970. And of course, by '71, the LS6, the 450 horsepower 454, disappeared. It was it was there and gone pretty quickly. The other one that impressed me, and I've always liked the styling of the. Uh, Torino Cobra. Oh, yeah. And with the 429 Cobra Jet, and if you ordered the right rear gears, it became a super Cobra Jet. Uh, That impressed me, but it also confused me as it did most of the buyers. Because if you weren't in the know, you didn't know that by checking the gear ratio to a 391 or a 430 got you a whole different engine than if you checked the traditional street gears. Ah interesting you got the super super cobra jet over the cobra jet
0: yeah wow yeah. lots of curious options that's for sure you yeah i always ask my guests about a big challenge when you think about putting this book together because this wasn't your first rodeo when it comes to books what were some of the challenges that you guys faced when you were writing 1970 maximum muscle
1: well we did some research on what a lot of other good authors have covered in the past. Uh, there's no shortage of books you can walk into uh, uh, any bookstore or go to Amazon and get a lot of good picture books that uh, show cards. But we found that the the books were one of two things. Either they were a lot of detail and historical, or they were photography uh, that was just exceptional, but very few mixes. And that's why Rich and I uh, partnered on this book. Rich is a fantastic photographer. Uh, if you've read any muscle car review magazine, muscle car enthusiast, Chevy enthusiast, just about any publication, you'll know Richard's name because he's been doing this for half of his lifetime and been very successful. And his photography sets the cars very well and and really captures the design of the cars so our goal was to attack this on a two-front basis uh, doing the research, uh, giving the the reader the information as to why muscle cars came and went so quickly in that era and also to have a, a book that you can pick up and see accurate photos of cars. There's, there's a few cars that escaped into our book that had maybe uh, wheel changes, what we'd call day two changes. Uh, but we were very careful to select cars that were original option colors and trim and and were really an accurate portrayal of what you and I grew up with in the early 70s when these cars were relatively new on the street.
0: Oh, yeah. Fascinating. So did you have to seek out and find these vehicles to send Rich all over the place to shoot? Uh, yeah,
1: yes and no. Rich has a warehouse uh, of Photographs and articles from all the work he's done over the uh, years, yeah. and uh, and so we've talked about that. But to get the right cars and even uh, even the cover cards uh, at the last moment, the editor did a fantastic job on laying out this and giving you a seventy vibe when you look at the cover of the pick of the the book. But one of the cars wasn't Rich's photography that was inserted of the four cars on the cover, and uh, so Rich really went back and was able to find photography he had. And I think he even tracked down a car and was able to shoot it. With COVID uh, going on, because we finished this in 2020, uh, it was difficult to get people willing to get cars out. And so Rich did pull in a few photos from his uh, collaborators in the industry. But the majority are done by Rich and done very, very well and uh, giving a good perspective to the, the reader, we think.
0: Oh, absolutely. Now, here we are in the first basically week of of April here. Is the book available now for people to purchase?
1: Yes, and, and obviously availability is being based on coming from uh, overseas. Our expectation is that the stores will have it on the shelf either now or within a week or two uh, and so uh, it can be purchased on Amazon and uh, sent directly to your home. Uh, Richard and I will be doing some personal appearances where allowed uh, here in Southern California. We're anticipating going to the and Show, Muscle Car and uh, Corvette Nationals back in uh, Chicago in November. And uh, we'll be signing and autographing uh, books as well while we're there.
0: Very cool. I love it. Sounds like a really, really fun project. And as things are opening up here, not as fast as we'd like, but every little bit, every day, every yeah. week, it's a little bit better so we can all get out and enjoy our vehicles again. Fantastic. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors. We come back. I want to dive into your personal passion for cars. We alluded to that at the beginning of the show, uh, some unique vehicles you collect, so keep the seatbelts on. We will be right back with Mark Fletcher. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market Ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. Join Linkage. Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. And don't forget, when you go to subscribe, use the code Yeah and get $10 off at LinkageMag.com. Here at Yeah, it's all about inspiration. And our charity of choice is TechForce Foundation, where it's all about making a positive difference in young people's lives. TechForce helps young adults discover their talents and passions for all things automotive with a mission of helping students develop a career as a professional technician. TechForce awards nearly $2 million in scholarships every year for students to pursue technical education education. And they support hands-on activities, events, and mentorships across the country, working to change the outdated perceptions of these careers. Autotechs are in high demand, but the supply of qualified technicians is critically short. They need your help to fuel their mission. Learn more and join me in supporting them at techforce.org. <laughs> Hey, Mark, tell me a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were going to be a bit of a car guy, a story that instigated this passion you have for for all sorts of cars, but specifically muscle cars.
1: Well, uh, I'll give you a very memorable experience. I grew up in a car family. My, uh, my dad was a car nut and a uh, uh, Boeing engineer by trade, but really enjoyed muscle cars. And uh, as a kid, we would... As we're driving down the road, I'm one of three boys. We're very close in age. And dad would point to cars, and uh, we would have to determine what year, make, and model they were. And back then, you could tell by the uh, difference in grills or side marker lights or that type of thing. But my dad was looking for a little Rambler American to commute to and from work. And uh, we went to the Seattle Auto Show. We lived up in, in the Northwest. And on the AMC showroom wasn't a Rogue, but a painted red, white, and blue Rogue. A Rambler Scrambler, and uh, Dad looked at it, and of course, it was twenty nine ninety five or twenty nine ninety eight was the price from AMC, and he made arrangements for that show car to come to the dealership in Bellevue, Washington, not far from where we lived, so that he could test drive it and buy it and so uh about a week later mom dad and us three boys went to the local dealer and dad took the car for a test drive with three boys in the back seat and mom in the passenger seat <laughs> wow and uh, uh so we just short distance and mom actually drove the car too she drove the stick shift she was a, a very sporting woman yeah but when we got back to the dealer my crew cut father uh, was ready to buy it, but my mother would not let him. It was too loud, <laughs> okay. and people were pointing and laughing at us. Uh, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so we were, we were a little upset at, at mom over that. But not long later, dad purchased a used Rambler Rebel wagon with a 343 four speed bucket seats and console. And that became Mom's car within a week, and was <laughs> taken away from my father.
0: <laughs> mom, gee whiz! <laughs> yeah.
1: So, as a teenager, prior to having my license, my mom was driving a four-speed stick shift uh, wow. hot rod wagon.
0: That's impressive.
1: It, it was, and and Dad ended up a. Uh, couple of years later, buying a, a used AMX as his commuter car. And so, obviously, the first car my brothers and I shared was a 66 Rambler American little V8 four-speed yeah. uh, hardtop. So, I, that got me pretty involved in cars. In high school, I probably had 30 cars over the years. What? And... Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah wow yeah kind of got you involved in car you know when i think of the the rambler scrambler i think of the uh i think it was was it called the A a scheme that the, the, the red down the side and the blue wheels that's and the, the the big hood scoop coming out of the middle of the hood is that am i got the right vehicle in that's mind?
1: the car three it's got the amx drivetrain in the smallest body at the time rambler america wow. the size of a chevy nova or a ford falcon and uh uh, the car, having owned one for 22 years, I just parted with it this last fall. The car is one of those cars that it's just ridiculous on the road. A lot of fun. But you learn quickly to point it before you punch the gas.
0: <laughs> <shoot>. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Uh, well, really cool. My first car was the 67 Chevy Nova, and it kind of has the same look about it. Uh, very a bit, similar. Yeah, very similar, but uh, much cooler, much faster, much uh, much neater car. Uh, well. Is there is that the really special car in your life? If you had to pick one really special vehicle you've had, or is there something else you might want to share?
1: Well, a uh, good question. Uh, I think, like a lot of car collectors, I'm eclectic. I, I tend to love those things that are unique. I've migrated to low mileage cars. I currently have four old AMC's, one of which I picked up uh, at, in January of this year, and we'll talk just quickly about it. But it's a seventy two. Javelin AMX with a 401, Mm. which is just beyond the years uh, of this book. But this particular car caught my interest because it has 6,000 original miles. Oh, my
0: God. Where did you find that?
1: Well, that's interesting. As a collector, I've gone all over the nation to pick up cars before. This one was 20 miles from my home. Oh, my God. uh, Stored (laughs) (laughs) stored in a warehouse.
0: (laughs) Right in your backyard. (laughs) Literally. Wow.
1: Wow. And so we've just picked that up and i'm doing some detailing it's got uh even though it's a very low mileage car it's been stored in a warehouse and it's dusty uh, i got it running right rebuilt the carb and you know the typical things that the the individual will do replace a few cracked fuel al- or uh, vacuum lines and so on but the car is an absolute time capsule it's a brand new car wow and uh, extremely exciting because in 72 uh, amc uh, lowered the compression. And that's part of the book story. Uh, we went from nine and a half to eight and a half. But AMC did it funny. They they increased the size of the head area. And by doing that, they left the same pistons in the engine. So back in the day, it was not uncommon for somebody to buy a 72 401 Japlin AMX and put on 71 or 70 heads
0: and um, bring it
1: right back to the compression right. that... Uh, that, and performance that it had in its heyday.
0: Very cool. Those cars to me were very interesting because I just recall the front fenders had those bulges. Yes. Yeah. That were like, yeah. what is going on here? And they kind of remind me like a, a mini Tornado, if you will. Mm-hmm. Just that feel. It's got this big haunches. You know, just yes. like something's about to happen. You better get out of the way.
1: Very, very masculine in appearance, I'm told. But and you know, 71, they went to a cowl induction hood instead of the traditional forward-facing hood scoop. And so, but it, it's a wonderful car to drive. I've also got a 70 Mark Donahue Javelin, one of the 2,500 Ooh. and one that they built. Uh, that happens to be a 394 speed, which uh, is uh the biggest engine they offered that year with the ram air and this particular one uh, like the like the 72 is almost all original paint wow. uh completely original interior and only has
0: 47,000 miles oh my gosh wow yeah time capsules indeed very yes, cool that.
1: That one I went to Nebraska for, so okay. yeah, <laughs> that was a little away. further away.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to do that. Very, very cool. I always loved the Javelin, the AMXs. I mean, there's just something about those cars were cool. And that tie, of course, with the great Mark Donahue uh, makes yeah. it even more special. Well, here's a bit of an introspective question for you, Mark. I'm going to crawl into your skull a little bit here. If you were a vehicle, you were manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but your personality into a vehicle, if that can happen, what would you be and why? Well, I don't know
1: if I have a complete answer because I would have to make up my mind which is the best vehicle, and I never really have. <laughs> but, but, I, but I can answer you this. Uh, people have asked me before what I name my vehicles, and I've, I've never named my vehicles, but I always refer to my vehicles as him, not her. Okay. And uh, and that may not be appropriate today, but still, it's where my mind goes. Yeah, and I think the reason is, is a muscular vehicle tends to be sort of a masculine vehicle, and so uh, it's not like it's a Mustang pony car or anything else. But uh, you know, when when you'd rather have the exhaust sound than the radio sound, driving a car, <laughs> sure. it tends to be more of a masculine car to me, and so I've always referred to my cars as he instead of. Uh, her and i think maybe i associate that uh, with myself
0: that kind of makes sense yeah i I, I think i'll let you get away with that You don't let people get away without picking a car but you you did that you must be a wordsmith or something a book writer yeah you know how to (laughs) twist some words together Uh, very interesting yeah i I think maybe you and i we come from obviously we come from the same generation and cars are Mm -hmm. typically referred to as female her and i remember the uh the lay car I remember the Renault Le Car. The Renault Le Car. Le car. Yes. Yeah, And I remember yeah. a, a roommate of mine; his girlfriend had one, and she changed the gender from male LA to law. I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of funny. She actually went to the trouble of creating a letter and changed it on the because it was the graphics were on the side of the side of that car. They're yeah. trying to make that car racy. It wasn't anything but racy, but uh, yeah, maybe the well, turbo. Well, she didn't
1: devalue. No, No, she didn't devalue (laughs) it by doing that. No,
0: not at all. Yeah, that thing didn't last long as I remember. Well, Mark, we're entering what I call the last lap, some quick answers to some quick questions. So here we go. Which one of your personal habits do you believe has helped contribute to your many successes in your life?
1: It's a habit that I've developed. I'm, I've i been sales, sales management uh, most of my career. But sometimes in my hobbies, I get too concentrated on the cars. And I've learned to uh, look past the car and look at the individuals. So if you're at a car show, uh, especially a lot of the cars and coffees we now participate in because of uh, restrictions, take time, talk to the owner, yeah. talk to the people, find out the story of the car, not just the prettiness of the paint job the metal. And, um, and and I think that's carried over both on a professional basis and on a personal basis. And because of that, I met some wonderful people and found out what's their emotional attachment to the hobby that they're in.
0: Well, that's how Cars Yeah was born. My son mm-hmm. told me, Dad, you've been taking me to car shows and vintage races my whole life. What do I tease you about? You can't walk past the car without talking to its owner about the car <laughs> and about their life. Why don't you do a podcast about that? And here we go, 1,789 people. It must have worked, yeah. Now, if I could arrange yeah. for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be?
1: A gentleman by the name of Georgia Hurst. I've done a lot of research on Hurst. We actually have two books on Hurst, not only Hurst Equip that came out in 2012, but this summer, uh, Bob Riggle's story, Hemi Under Glass, is also uh, coming out that Rich and I have written together. And so... In that, I've met a lot of people that knew George Hurst personally. Um, I've become friends with a lot of those people. And he uh, was a very kind and gentle individual that accomplished a lot and broke the rules of Detroit. He he literally went from being a uh, person selling Volkswagen override bumpers to being in the boardrooms of the biggest of the top three, four car manufacturers and influencing their decisions all within a 10-year span. Wow. And uh, I I met his partner, Bill Campbell, and prior to Bill passing, uh, became his friend and friends with his family. Uh, But I was uh, not given the opportunity to meet George because his life uh, was much shorter than Bill Campbell's.
0: Wow. Yeah. Hurst. Yeah. You just think power, uh, you know, fun, (laughs) all of that. And of course I had Miss Hurst, Linda Vaughn as a guest on my show a few years ago. Um, She's a wonderful
1: friend. Yeah. She's a
0: really nice lady. Yeah, absolutely. Now when it comes to automotive advice, any kind of automotive advice, what's the best advice someone ever offered to you?
1: Buy a car because you like it, not because it's rare. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Now wait, aren't you well, maybe you are doing both with your collecting <laughs> yes. habits. Yeah. That's right. Okay. <laughs>
1: well and, and, and my my dad's advice was pretty good, and that is that you better enjoy driving a car because you're gonna be working on it, especially a car of the sixties and seventies. They were wonderful cars, but the the quality of build weren't as weren't as good. I keep my car's points and regular carburation, and so you're constantly Adjusting a car, so his advice was, you know, buy it because you love it, not because it's rare. And uh, he always included the Edsel in there, in an example of not of being rare but not valuable. <laughs> exactly. But yeah the Edsel, I think, has finally gotten some attention for all of its innovations that it had. I think it uh, during the late fifties. Yeah.
0: You know, I've heard also had a lot of people on the show that talk about that key point you just mentioned, and that is, you don't buy a car because you think it's going to go up in value, because if you don't really love it, and then that doesn't happen, and you're stuck with it, if you will, or you think, "Oh, now I have to sell it at a loss." You're never going to like that car. It's, it's going to become a bit mm-hmm. of an albatross. So, uh, yeah, make sure you buy something you love, and uh, yes. spend a lot of great time investigating what you want and drive these things because not only do old cars drive unlike quite unlike new cars, but every old car drives a little different. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, take your time during your search. Is there a great resource out there you'd like to share?
1: Well, actually, I think being an automotive author um, is much easier today than it used to be because we have better resources. Uh, Even back when we wrote the first book, I was buying a lot of other people's books and comparing and going. uh, I was traveling all across the United States to meet with experts uh, at their home and at shows and so on. In order to get information. And I think a lot of it's now available on the internet. But having said that, the old thing that we were taught back in school of having three sources and checking those sources before you publish anything has become much, much more important. Um, uh, You know, a book carries a lot of authority. If somebody's printed a a book or a magazine, uh, generally they've done their research. And uh, the internet doesn't have those responsibilities. Uh, so, with that, uh, my advice to anybody that wants to write is go back to historical uh, sources from the time, not people's memory. Um, yeah. Yeah. My memory's not as good as it used to be. Sure. And get your three sources before you confirm numbers or horsepower or, or anything along those lines.
0: Oh, boy, would that be refreshing for what goes on 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 social media and the media these days? Oh, my gosh. People just throw (laughs) stuff out there to get it out there. and You read some of this stuff going, did you even check the spelling? You know, you got spell check on your computer. Who who wrote this headline? Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it seems to be all that's gone out the window, sadly. But uh, I'm glad you and your cohort there, Richard, doing your three sourcing or rechecking. I think that's great. Now, I always ask people. To source a book, obviously, we're going to talk about, we have talked about 1970 Maximum Muscle, a book that needs to be on every car enthusiast's shelf. There's those three other books you you talked about, Hearst Equipped, uh, 1970 mm-hmm. Maximum Muscle we talked about, and Quarto's the publisher of that, by the way. I need to mention my friends yep. at Quarto. They're great. And then Hemi Under Glass. Is, is there any other books you might want to pitch out to our, our listeners here?
1: Uh, well, good question. Uh, having been uh, in the middle of writing two books for the last uh, year and a half. I haven't read much, but I'm I'm more of a history buff. I, I tend to like uh, historical documents, and and hopefully I won't bore the readers too much in the my writing process because of that. But uh, growing up in a home where my dad's a Boeing engineer, there was always the reason why, and so I enjoy actually going back and finding out the why and the. And the Halfour and I think those books are probably harder to find. So be willing uh, to go back and look at a book that was printed printed uh, 20, 30 years ago and uh, and read that. and then uh, and I'm looking forward to actually uh, picking up a fiction book in the near future. Oh. Uh, and I, I tend to for entertainment, I tend to, to like the espionage based oh, uh, yes. fiction books. Uh, and I'm looking to do that so that my mind can rest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes we do need to rest our mind. You know, my wife uh, reads books and consumes books, audiobooks like I can't believe. And lots of times I tend to only read nonfiction, business books, self-help stuff. And every once in a while she'll find something and say, read this. You know, it's it'll it's something different. It's fun. It's different. And I'm like, I've I got something built into my brain that I'm wasting my time if I'm reading fiction. I need to be learning all the time. And she goes, well, you never know what you might pick up from this. So she's helped me break out of that silly mold I put myself in. We'll take one more short break with our sponsors. we come back, I've got what I call a question that's a bit of a doozy. So sit tight. We'll be right back. Did you know that Cars is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts, In the United States. That's right. And Carja is the only five day a week automotive focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Carja is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Carja has experienced tremendous growth. Plus, your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Carja every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark.carsyout.com or through the website at carsyout.com today to learn more. All right, Mark, I'm going to buy you a very cool collector car today, but this could be tough because there are rules to my game since I'm writing the check. I'll buy you anything. doesn't matter what it is. But it needs to be something that you'll enjoy and drive. No dust collectors here. It's the only collector car you can have. That means cars you already have need to go away. So if you don't want to get rid of a car you have, I don't have to write a check today. Uh, but you can't sell it once I give it to you to buy back all your old cars. So that little trick is off the table for a sly dog like you. So, Mark, what would I be buying you today
1: well uh, that's a really good question i have a very low mileage car that i can't drive uh the problem
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah i get it <laughs> right that's a problem um, with low mileage and, cars yeah they're a trap. so uh
1: you know as, as beautiful as it is and we want it to be documented uh, that can't be the car because uh, i get behind the wheel of the car I roll the windows down. I put my Beach Boys tape in the a track <laughs> and uh, and I row the gears as I'm driving down the back roads with all the windows down. That takes about uh, 40-some years off of my life when I do that.
0: Nice.
1: And, uh, and right now, the 70 Mark Donahue Javelin I have that's low mileage and very similar to my second uh, car in high school, which was a 70 Mark Donahue Javelin, it gives me all of that satisfaction. So if it's not a financial aspect of uh, AC Cobra or or replacing the 66 Shelby I used to own, I'm content with that Mark Donahue Javelin. And uh, when people try and pry it from my hands, I give them (laughs) the same answer, which is please speak with my widow about (laughs) buying the car.
0: Oh, my God. You know, I love this because it's great when anyone who I've had on cars yeah reaches a point in their life where they have the car that has made them happy Brings back their youth, which is what these old cars do for all of us. So I'm so thrilled to hear that answer. I get a big smile on my face. Not because I don't have to buy you something, but because you've already figured it out. And that's a pretty cool mm-hmm. thing. So I'll ask you this, Mark. You've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. You, you've got such a nice way about you. Would you share one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off with the windows down and the Beach Boys on the 8-track and that 1970 Mark Donahue javelin?
1: I'm going to ask for people to be compassionate. There's a, there's a lot of people that right now have had health issues, especially in our age group. And uh, if you're blessed enough to have a muscle car, or a sports car in the garage that you can take out and ride, put on your mask, pick up your friend down the street that doesn't have that and go for a ride. And please share the blessings that we have with others and allow them to experience that moment of youth that we all get with the top down or the windows down and the music playing and smiles and laughter.
0: What a nice way to leave our talk today, Mark. You are a special guy. Thank you for that. Uh, Just put me at peace just hearing you say that. So I feel pretty good. What's the best way for people? Do you play in the social media world or for people to follow along with you?
1: Yeah, I'm I, I'm a boomer, so uh, Facebook is my media. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. No problem. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, my name Mark Fletcher. Uh, generally, there's a picture of my uh, green '70 Javelin uh, on my Facebook head, and uh, I welcome people to join in. I talk on a lot of different groups, even though I'm involved in every AMC group. I'm also involved in the Chevelles and the Mustangs and the Ford groups and the. Mopards and uh, Superbird groups. Um, so I might be a familiar name out there, not so much as a contributor, but I sure have gleaned a lot of information from those that are uh, solid in the hobby. Absolutely. And uh, I look forward to, to meeting with people and hoping that we get a moment to, to talk and find out what's important to you.
0: That would be very nice. And again, get your hands on this book, 1970 Maximum Muscle from our friends at Quarto. They publish so many great books. They send so many great authors to me here at Carsia. I'm very, very appreciative of those folks. You can find everything that Mark has shared on his show notes page. Just go to Carsia.com, type in Mark Fletcher, and his page will pop right up. And make sure you tune in tomorrow because his cohort in crime, Rich Truesdale, is going to be here to talk about the photographic side of this book. So tune in tomorrow to Carsia. Mark, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise and for sharing uh, an incredible life you are having. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up